Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship. I'm Jeremy Lee, and uh, Matthew today has been officially put in charge of counting. Well, I guess I can go on Sesame Street now. <laughs> the count is getting kind of old. I, I would fail. Well, you had did demonstrate you failed earlier today, but I'm sure you can make up the ground. We'll push through. So no, no counting today, and if we do any counting, you are the official counter for Ordinary Fellowship. Okay. Another title. Another title, yes. See, you are just racking up those titles. Yes, yes, I am. Too bad it doesn't come with a pay increase. Well, I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you a 50% increase, okay? Okay. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. But I can't count, so. I understand. Today, um, we're going to talk about altar calls. Matthew is a big fan, so we're going to have a debate about uh, altar calls, right? <laughs> Well, we're going to have a conversation. I don't think we're going to have a debate. Okay. As far as I know, Matthew's not a fan of altar calls. My kids don't even know. They know what an altar call is because I told them, but um, they've never even been to a church that has an altar call. So um, it's been a long time since I've even experienced one. (laughs) (laughs) Since you have such vast experience, Matthew, why don't you tell us the idea of an altar call? All righty. Well, let's back up and take a history take a history lesson for a second. So, altar calls became more prevalent during what's commonly called the Second Great Awakening, which was a series of meetings held by Charles Finney, and in them, Finney had the belief that you needed to give people the opportunity to make a public decision on whatever it was and that you were that decision was aided by being in the group and putting public pressure on you and appealing to making an emotional appeal and other things kind of like this and so this progresses, you get to the 20s, and you get Billy Sunday having his revivals, and there's this phrase that walks around called walking the sawdust trail, you walk that means you need to go front and make it public, make it public, and so that's kind of the framework uh, out of which altar calls come. Yeah. It, it was really um, probably not started by Finney, but right. popularized by him, and then Moody and then Billy Sunday, and then, of course, Billy Graham, because these were successful, and I'm using air quotes, <laughs> because they were successful evangelistic campaigns. Churches wanted to have successful evangelism. Uh, I assume they started being incorporated in church services. That They really just they changed the order of worship and changed the focus of worship. Um, but I don't know that we'll get to all that today. Right. But um, anyway, did you have anything more to add about? Just that, so basically, if to understand what an altar call is, you can probably define it best as it's simply the effort to call people to come to the front after a sermon to respond publicly to that sermon to make a decision. So there's... 
just kind of that's like our woking definition. Right. And there's a big problem. There is. Um, one, where's the altar in our church? We don't have an altar. <laughs> Most churches don't have an altar. Um, we're not Roman Catholics. We have a table for the Lord's table, but there's no altar to come forward to. So, um, anyways, I could get off on a tangent there, but I, I won't. Matthew described it pretty blandly, but generally what happens at an altar call is there's psychological pressure put on people who aren't believers, and sometimes even believers, to make a decision now. And so the, you, they play music, and they play it, sometimes play it over and over again until people respond. The pastor pleads with people to come forward. That really is an altar call. Um, and we're not objecting to calling people to immediate faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. Uh, we're objecting to the need to come to the front and pray at an altar or respond in that way, uh, because for several reasons that we'll discuss in a little bit. Um, we, In fact, we fully support calling people to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and I even preached one time when I was a pastor, and the I was explaining the gospel in the middle of the sermon, and I called people to repent and believe, and I said, don't wait for an altar call at the end, because number one, there won't be one. Number two, you don't need to wait. Repent and believe in Jesus now. So it it doesn't, we're not saying that you don't, shouldn't be urgent to call people to faith in Christ or any anything of the sort. Uh, we we have problems with the way it's done with an altar call um, for reasons we'll get into. So any other thoughts about uh, altar calls in general before we get to the particular problems that we have with it? I think what you just said is the important part for us to understand. It's not that we're against the giving of an invitation. We're against the seemingly emotional manipulation to drive to a decision for less than beneficial reasons all of the time. And in this so that's a good segue into the main reason why I object to it. And that is uh what's called the regulative principle of worship. Um when Lee Jones was with us we discussed that at length. But the idea is that we only do the elements of worship must be commanded in Scripture. So we then we can't invent new things or embrace things that we've done for a long time that are traditions because they're not commanded by Scripture. To do so is to disobey God and participate in idolatrous worship. There are several elements commanded in Scripture, prayer, Corporate prayer, um, and I'm going to count, so help me out, Matthew. Okay, there's one. <laughs> Corporate prayer, the preaching and reading of the word, the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and am I missing one? Singing. Singing, thank you. Yes, those things, and offerings are commanded. There's other things that are commanded, 
But those those five are the main things that we're commanded to do. Nowhere does the Bible ever command walking an aisle, coming to the front of the church, coming to a non-existent altar, or anything of the sort. The Bible doesn't command us to do this in worship, therefore we shouldn't be doing it in worship. That's like the main reason I say we shouldn't do this is because God didn't tell us to do it in worship. And in fact, it was invented in the 1800s at some point. So one for 1,850 years, no one had an altar call, and people were getting saved for 1,850 years without an altar call. And suddenly now, since the 1850s, we think nobody's going to get saved unless we have an altar call at the end of the service. And we make it so important that if you don't get saved, then you question someone's, or if you don't come forward, you question their salvation. Um, This is a tradition of man. And while some people may say it's a good tradition, fine, but I don't believe that traditions of men, whether for good intentions or not, ought to be introduced in the worship of God because they're not commanded by God. So that's my that's my primary ad- objection to this. Even if it is, you can argue for some good benefits. Um, it, I think it's disobedience to God from the get-go. So I think that understanding the regulative principle just as a general rule, is beneficial for worship. I don't know that I'm as I'm as stringent as where Jeremy's at, but I do think that the altar call has clearly been a man-made invention, and my main problem is functionally is that it what it does to salvation on both sides of the coin. So you have, like Jeremy mentioned, you have people who think that, well, you're not really saved because you didn't actually go forward and you don't have a time and a date. But you also have people who think they did get saved and they are regenerate because they have because they have a time and a date. And, and neither- it doesn't matter how they live right now. Correct. They have some pastor wrote in their Bible that they got saved right. when they were eight years old. Right. And, and so it to me, it completely misidentifies the doctrine of salvation. It completely messes it up because we don't understand what salvation actually is because if you don't have a time and a date, then you didn't really get saved. And so what you're holding to is the time and the date. You're not holding to Jesus. Right. And this is why um, why one of my objections to the altar call is that it hides Christ. This is exactly what you're talking about, okay? Um, it hides Christ because... Instead of trusting in Christ, you're trusting in an altar call. You're trusting in the fact that you went forward, that you did something. Or the other side is it hides Christ because then you you don't have assurance of your salvation because you didn't go forward. And I, I've had to deal with both of these things. Um, so Christ is hidden in, in an altar call. People... People think the altar call is what does it, rather than Christ. And you know, one of my one one time when I was talking about this with a friend, he said, "Well, you have to explain baptism and the Lord's Supper and all these things and good works. You have to explain to people that 
Um, that's not what save you, saves you. Why can't you just do the same thing with the altar call? Well, there's a serious problem with that. The altar calls never commanded. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and good works are commanded. <laughs> and I've never run into somebody who doubted their salvation because um, they haven't been baptized, which is really weird. You would think you would run, and maybe there are those people, but I've never <laughs> run into those anybody who thinks that they've not saved because they haven't been baptized, nor have I, I don't really run into people unless they're from the churches of Christ who think they're saved because they were baptized. So it do, it doesn't seem to me that the the same thing happens even with them. But, I mean, it is a possibility. But we have to make that effort with those things because those are commanded. So what you're doing, what you're doing is say it's okay to add additional hoops, additional um, stumbling blocks to coming to Christ because this is what we've always done or because it helps some people. We're, it's okay to add these additional stumbling blocks from Christ. And I'm saying, no, it's not okay. You, you don't want to put any stumbling blocks. You don't want to put anything that's not commanded by God in the way of coming to Christ. And I'm afraid that's what altar calls do. No, I completely think that's what they do. And it also, just to add to it, if you come to the place where you can add altar calls as a stumbling block or as another hoop to jump through, then there's nothing, back to the regulative principle, that keeps you from adding other hoops and other stumbling blocks to the gospel. Why not the seven sacraments of the Catholic Church then? Right. Why not become like the churches of Christ and add five steps to coming to becoming a Christian. What's what once you say it's okay to add other things that, <laughs> to come to Christ, then where's the where's the limit? Yeah, and that it, it worked for this guy, it must work for everybody. And that's the problem which leads to another whole conversation which I don't know we necessarily want to go all the way down this road, but I, it leads to a pra- it leads to a pragmatic conversation. Yeah, we just do whatever works, and and my you have you you look at it, and you're coming up with more of the theological reasons of why it's wrong, which are good. My main problem is is I can't stand the manip- the emotional manipulation. That's my right. that's the thing that bugs me probably more than anything else is just how emotionally manipulated altar calls can become, yeah. and just. I mean, when you when you're literally standing there, beating on a pulpit, telling people, "I know you need to come forward, so we're going to sing this song until you do," and you've literally been standing there for 15 minutes, and no one's moved, but you're convinced by the spirit that somebody has to move, so we're going to stand here until you do, and then finally, what ends up happening is some poor soul decides he's just tired of it, so he'll go forward just to make everybody be quiet so everybody else can go home. I mean, I was watching, I was flipping through YouTube, and I found this service, and literally the altar call was 45 minutes long. It's like, because people just have to go forward. Because he, because the preacher was convinced somebody needed it. And, and to be honest with you, I, I didn't come... I, I wasn't raised a Christian. I became a Christian when I was uh, almost 17 years old. 
So I wasn't raised in the church to understand these things, and I have always, from the very beginning, been very uncomfortable with altar calls. You know, some people will accuse us of believing this because of our uh, being Reformed, and Reformed people are opposed to the altar call, um, but I was opposed to it before I ever heard the word Reformed or Calvinism because it, I saw the emotional manipulation, um, <laughs> and I went, this isn't, this something's not right about this. And then as I, in my in my life and in my ministry, I saw more and more. I mean, I had a, I had a guy at my church who struggled for years with whether he was converted or not, because when he was a kid, he was too afraid to go up in front of the church and and get saved. And it's absolutely disgusting that this guy went sixty years of basically sixty years of his life scared, uncertain, certain of his salvation, not not because of his necessarily sinful lifestyle, not because of anything he had done, but because of the one thing he didn't do, because he was a scared young man and didn't want to go up in front of the church. It it blows my mind that he had to struggle that many years uh, with that over something that was invented. And I do want to say, you know, a lot of people have been converted because of responding to an altar call. And I, I don't want to say their conversion was false right? because they responded to an altar call. The good news is God uses even bad, thi- bad methods to bring sinners to faith in Christ. But that doesn't mean we should continue using a bad method because in some examples it was beneficial or useful. We have to follow what the Scripture teaches, not, not whether it, uh, it worked or not. We're, we reject pragmatism, and that's a pragmatic argument. Well, it worked for these many people, so it must be okay. No, that's not, <laughs> that's not way, the way Christians should argue. Uh, we should make our argument based on what the Bible says. And you'll not, you won't find, <laughs> if you're going to make an argument for the altar call based on what the Bible says, you're going to have a really hard time since it's nowhere found anywhere in the pages of the Bible. It's completely fabricated uh, by man. It's it's a tradition of man. So Right. So we think through some of the reasons. We have, one, we think it's a bad idea because it goes against the regulative principle. Two, see, I'm counting. Two, <laughs> we think it's a bad idea because it exercises emotional manipulation Three, it's a bad idea because it it fun- functionally and fundamentally hides Christ. So we have another reason why we think it's a bad idea. I do. I don't know if you do. Okay, so what's your what's your <laughs> what, another reason why you think it's a bad idea? Well, I think they undermine the ordinances that Christ has instituted. At a church that does altar calls, the way you make public profession of your faith is coming to the front. <laughs> coming to the altar. Um, historically, the way Christians have made professions of faith is in their baptism, uh, when they're being baptized. That seems to me to undermine baptism and, and what it's all about. Um, I, I see that as a serious problem where you're putting something 
that everyone should agree was invented by men over an ordinance that was instituted by Christ. And that becomes that becomes all important. A public profession of faith, for Baptists anyways, <laughs> um, ought to be uh, baptism. That's when it's... It's not that you may not tell somebody beforehand, but the public confession of that would be in, in baptism, not not coming forward at a church service. And then and so I think in a, in that way it undermines baptism, but I think it does even worse to the Lord's Supper. Imagine because I've had these conversations in churches suggesting that we do the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And the argument you'll usually hear is, well, if we do it too often, then we'll lose, then it will lose its specialness, its uniqueness if we do it all the time. And but try to say at a church, maybe we should only do the altar call once a quarter, <laughs> and see what kind of argument you get there. You're going to have people very upset. Well, how will people get saved? You don't want people saved. <laughs> We've never done it that way before. So the Lord's Supper, we can't possibly do that every Sunday because then it will lose its uniqueness. But we must do this tradition of man every Sunday or somehow no one will get saved. That shows you how much people value the altar call over against the Lord's Supper, which was instituted by Christ. And altar calls aren't just... um, to for conversions they're they're also used for people to rededicate their lives which that's an, another topic for another day <laughs> they're used for people to rededicate their lives to confess their sin to get more serious about god there's lots of reasons the altar call is used now but all of those can be seen if you explain them better theologically can be done with the lord's supper the the altar call is supposed to one of the things it does is a time for responding to the message of God's word. It's for believers or unbelievers to believe. It's for uh, for believers to repent and get right with God. All of those things is are what, except for the believers coming to faith. That's what the Lord's Supper was for. Is for. It's a time of examination. It's a time of turning to Christ and trusting him. But instead, we've, we've, we've brought this tradition of man in to replace it that somehow is an improvement on what Christ has done. That This is what the Lord's Supper is for. The Lord's Supper is the opportunity to examine yourself and to turn to Christ and to re- renew our covenant commitments to him again. That's what it's all about. And it's no wonder these churches can celebrate the Lord's Supper only once a quarter or once a year or whenever the fancy hits them that they want to do it. it because it's, it no longer holds any value because the altar call has effectively replaced it. It's, it's, it's really terrible because the tradition of man that has replaced what God instituted isn't a good replacement um, because of all the issues that we've talked about. Uh, the Lord's Supper 
is the place where we do all those things and ought to be valued more highly than a tradition of man. So it really concerns me that churches are turn, turn, have turned more to the altar call than to the Lord's Supper. And I, I actually heard a um, Catholic discussing uh, sacraments one time, and he called uh, the altar call a Protestant sacrament. And we view it in that way, even though we would those who practice the altar call would hate it being called a sacrament. But that is what it's become, and it shouldn't be that way. And it, and it, and it really has re- replaced the ordinances or sacraments that Christ has instituted, and it's, it's a shame. Yep, it is. And I think, just to add one more reason that builds off of what Jeremy was just talking about, I think one of the one of the another problem with the altar calls is functionally is presented in a way of exclusivity. So it becomes the only way, the only way you can get right with God, the only way you can come to God, the only it, it, it's that way or no way. And as Jeremy was just talking about, it eliminates or minimizes, maybe minimizes a better word, it minimizes that which God has already given us to do those things. So functionally from where I'm at, if you want to take a moment to pause at the end of a sermon to ask for a decision in your seat or something, there's nothing wrong with that. But But when you make it exclusive, like this is the only way you can do it, and if you don't do it this way, then somehow you haven't made a decision, you haven't done anything, that's my one another one of my issues with it. And so I think it's important for us to realize that there's nothing wrong with calling people to make a public profession, to make a public decision. The problem is when you call people to make a public decision or a public statement and only present the the invitation or the altar call as the only way for it to occur, as as opposed to, as Jeremy just laid out, the importance and how that how the Lord's Supper has already been instituted to do those things. And so that's another one of our issues with it. So anything else you want to we need to add as we come to the end of this episode? I think this really isn't an objection, but just an odd observation. We one of the arguments we constantly have as churches is who is the worship service for um and it's the the second great awakening i think that really turned it to be started this argument and made this argument come about because basically before it was god's people worshiping god not that unbelievers couldn't come but the focus of the service wasn't unbelievers but the the altar but the Second Great Awakening and the mass evangelism crusades <clears throat> in the late 19th and early 20th century, well, not even early 20th century, but in the 20th century, um, because of their popularity and because the church is doing that, they're, they're changing their order of worship so that the whole thing is target. It's all aimed for this altar call at the end. And so you then you get this struggle is the church worship service for 
um, for the Lord's people, or is it mainly for unbelievers to come to Christ? Um, so I, it it's not just the altar call that we need to do without, but we probably need to do a rethinking or a going back to uh, the Protestant Reformation, even in how we order our worship services, um, because I that really that's what the the Second Great Awakening did was was undermine all of that. Yeah, where it was it was about worshiping and glorifying God, and God's people worshiping Him. Um, it got turned into uh, an evangelistic service. Right. I, I would wholeheartedly agree with that, and that's... Because it didn't just affect what we do at the end of the service. It right. affects how we start and and the progress of where we're going as well. Right. And so you, we, we see the effects of pragmatism, and I would argue that we now are reaping the fruit of pragmatism and a lot of the struggles that we have to deal with in a church it functionally comes from the seeds that were planted in the second great awakening and those pragmatic seeds and and for me a better way i'm I'm an advocate of having the lord's supper every week a better way is that the worship service should be coming to we should always be coming to the lord's supper at the end to focus on christ renew our repentance and our covenant commitments to him and and that should be the target of the service but um that's another topic for another day but again you see how the altar call is usurping what god has instituted right if you're interested in understanding this topic more ian murray has written a little booklet called The Invitation System. We would encourage you to read it if you want more information on this. But as we close, we just leave you with this thought. Don't allow the man-made traditions of men to replace that which God has ordained. And so allow Christ to become hidden and his ordinances minimized, but rather may we view Christ in all of his glory and allow that to affect and change our lives. We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your questions, your comments, and even that dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But for now, we wanted to thank you once again for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we are striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.